Well, good morning, Emmanuel. Good morning to all of you who are joining us online as well. Uh, I want to start off this morning with a brief children's message, but kids, you can stay right where you are, whether it's in the pews with your family or at home with your family. So throughout this, this whole pandemic, um, we've had a whole lot more time together as a family. And uh, one of the things that we've been doing a lot is reading books to our kids. Uh, it's really fun. Right now I'm reading them The Hobbit by uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, the guy who wrote The Lord of the Rings. And, but when, when our kids were little, um, one of their favorite sets of books were all the Dr. Seuss books. And one of their favorites of, that, of those was Green Eggs and Ham. Remember how that one goes? That there's this guy named Sam I Am, and he keeps coming up to the main guy in the story and trying to get him to eat this plate that is full of green eggs and ham. And, you know, wherever he goes, the guy keeps saying, oh, no, I don't want any of that. That looks disgusting. You know, I will not eat them here or there. I will not eat them anywhere. Uh, but Sam I Am just keeps chasing this guy all over the place. You know, try them, try them. Finally, he relents and says, okay. I'll try them. And he discovers that green eggs and ham taste delicious. I will eat them in the rain. I will eat them here or there. I will eat them anywhere. You know, it, it's funny. When we find out about a new restaurant or a recipe that is really, really good, we want to share it with everybody that we know. Uh, just yesterday, I was at a wedding reception, and... The, um, at our table, we were talking about, you know, I was telling them about Mabe's Pizza at, in Decorah. And somebody else at the table said, oh, did you know that there's another place uh, right up in Webster City that's owned by the same family and they use the same recipe? You can get Mabe's Pizza 30 minutes from here. <laughs> I was like, ah, you've got to be kidding me. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> When we, when we find out about delicious food, we tell other people. Why don't we do the same thing about Jesus? The Bible tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. When our hearts have been connected to Jesus, when we have discovered the gospel for the first time or rediscovered it, when God's love has really penetrated our hearts, we naturally want to share it with other people. We can't keep it in. It just spills out, and we have to tell others about Jesus. So this morning, let's ask for God to give us that hunger to share the good news, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of delicious food. Thank you for the meal that we get to share together today, Holy Communion. And thank you, most of all, for Jesus, for the Lord that we can taste and see that he is good. Lord, send us out to share him with the world, with our neighbors uh, here and there, and everywhere. In Jesus' name, amen. I recently read an excerpt of a book called How to Be Here that said, all of us are participating in the ongoing creation of the world. 
So the question is, what kind of world are we making? And an even more personal question, what kind of life am I creating? What kind of life are you creating? What are you giving your life to? Are you helping move things forward in the world? Or are what you, is what you're doing not helping move things forward? Some, some work takes things in the wrong direction. Sometimes people give their energies toward things that prevent other people from thriving. Some tasks degrade or dehumanize the people involved. Maybe you're in a job that sucks the life out of you and you just can't see any real good in it. If that's you, stop. Get out of it. Do something else. Life is too short to help make a world that you don't want to live in. We are here as Christians to help make the world better. That's the theme of our sermon series this summer, Better Than Normal. Uh, last week, Pastor Andrew talked about our call to be loving and welcoming, uh, and how during this season we need to adapt as a congregation so that we can thrive and so that our neighbors can thrive. God calls us to be the presence of Christ, here, there, and anywhere. Our name as a congregation is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus' last words to his disciples in Matthew reflect that call to be his presence in the world. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus, our Emmanuel, lives inside us through the Holy Spirit. So as part of our calling to share the love of Christ with those around us, we are called to be good neighbors. Now a good neighbor, uh, contrary to popular opinion, is not just a quiet person with a nice-looking yard who keeps to themselves. <laughs> a really good neighbor knows their neighbors deeply. And we're, we're called to get to know the people around us on a deeper level, not just their names and where they work and what their hobbies are, but what they care about, what their hopes and dreams are, what their faith is like, and what their joys and struggles are on a day-to-day -day basis. God wants us to show them that we care, to show them that we are with them and that we are for them. God has placed you in your particular neighborhood for a reason, to be a good neighbor to the people around you. Being the church is not just a Sunday morning in the sanctuary thing. We've had to learn that over the past few months, haven't we? It's also not just a watch it online anytime you want sort of thing. Faith in Christ is not a hat that 
we put on once in a while when it's convenient. Faith means living out our name every day, here, there, and everywhere. For faith to be real, it has to have feet and hands and hearts. It means being the body of Christ and showing up in our neighbor's lives. Last week, we read the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, which started with a a little bit of an argument between Jesus and a a teacher of the law. Uh, The teacher asked Jesus, well, what is the greatest commandment? He's kind of going to put him to the test and see if he's got the right answer. Well, Jesus turned around and said, well, you're the expert of the law. What do you say? And he said, well, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, very good, you know, great, do that, and you will live. But then the man said, well, who is my neighbor? He wanted to, you know, who do I have to help? Well, Jesus turned the question around again. He told a story about a man who'd been left in, for dead in a ditch by robbers. And a priest went by on the other side, and a Levite went by on the other side. But then, instead of a, an ordinary Israelite guy who stopped to help, it was a Samaritan. This people, you know, from this people that were hated by the Jewish people. He was the one who stopped and helped. But at the end of the story, Pastor Andrew pointed out, Jesus didn't say. Who is your, you know, here's who your neighbor is. He said, who was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Who acted as a neighbor? Who showed up and helped the man with his needs? We have neighbors here and there across the world and anywhere. How can we show up in their lives and help? How can we connect with them and show them the love of Christ? How can we live out our name, God with us? Well, first of all, being a neighbor can't be just a one-sided thing. You know, if, if you're, you can't just, you know, waltz into somebody's life and say, ah, I'm going to help you out, and here's how I'm going to help you, uh, and, and dictate to them, you know, how, how things are going to be between you. When you're a true neighbor with someone, you treat them as a person, as a beloved child of God, not as a problem to be fixed. That's sometimes the mistake that we make in um, missions, whether it's here in the United States or somewhere abroad, we kind of try to swoop in and say, I've got the answer to all of your problems. Here it is. It's money or it's, you know, this new thing that'll make your life better. Too often that ends up only hurting the people that we're trying to help. Jesus instead calls us to build relationships with Christ to build relationships with other people and then receive from them as much or more than we give. A couple of weeks ago, we had some uh, CityServe projects that we did where we went out into 
the community and helped people with particular needs, whether it was yard work or um, doing some painting or um, helping clean up some parks, things like that. But our goal with that wasn't just to swoop in and say, look how great we are, we're doing all these good things. We want this to be not just a one-and-done kind of service project, but an ongoing ministry where we meet hands-on needs in our community, but also build relationships with people outside of our usual social circles. Being a Christian intentionally on mission means building relationships with people. In a couple of weeks, we have a fun opportunity as a congregation to go on a virtual mission trip to Haiti with Lifeline Christian Mission. It's going to be August 16th through the 22nd, and uh, there's a link on our website and in the email that we send out each week that you can sign up uh, for free to do that from, from home. And it's a chance to get to know some of our global neighbors. Haiti is not that far from the edge of Florida. The videos that we're going to be able to watch and the Zoom calls that we'll be able to participate in will give us a chance to meet some people on the ground who are helping people in Haiti with their needs. And it'll also help connect our congregation with people in Haitian congregations and Haitian ministries. Uh, They're going to show us how they cook their food. They're going to show us around their communities. They're even going to teach us some Creole lessons, their, their particular language there. The goal in foreign missions is to learn from each other to strengthen each other's faith, to partner with each other in Christian mission, not to be a one-sided giving. As Christians, we get our command, uh, our calling, from Jesus' command to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. He commissioned them and us as his apostles, the ones that he sends into the world. Today we heard the very end of the Gospel of Mark, uh, from Mark 16. We don't normally read this passage in worship. It's actually not included at all in the lectionary, the set of regular readings that many churches use. When we preach on Jesus' resurrection, we more often focus on the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, or the end of Luke, where Jesus tells his disciples, uh, wait here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Or we look at the the end of the Gospel of John, where Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit on his disciples and says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The end of Mark is a little unusual. Uh, You know, it it said, um, Jesus said, these signs will accompany these who believe. Uh, They will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, and they will heal the sick. And, you know, we we think, oh, hey, that sounds pretty good. But then he also says, uh, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it won't hurt them at all. What? (laughs) 
I'm not sure I want to sign up for that. I don't want to be the guinea pig who tries to drink poison or uh, handle snakes. <laughs> there's, there's actually some churches down in like, uh, you know, some of the southern states where they actually do that. They're like, oh, Jesus said we're supposed to, you know, handle snakes. <laughs> and so those are the, hand, the snake handling congregations. It doesn't go real well for them all the time. Uh, interestingly, the ending that we read today, it doesn't even appear in the earliest manuscripts of Mark. It was an ending that was added later. Maybe it was added because otherwise Mark's gospel ends so abruptly. The women went to tomb, to, to Jesus' tomb on Easter morning. They found the stone rolled away, and a young man dressed in white told them that Jesus was alive. And then the very last verse says, Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And that's how the Gospel of Mark originally ended. <laughs> I, can, I can understand why somebody decided they should add a little bit more. Uh, the story doesn't end there, right? The women must have told someone. Why else would people still tell stories about Jesus and trust in him 2,000 years later if he didn't rise from the dead? What I appreciate about the extra ending of Mark is where Jesus says to his disciples and to us, go out into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Every people, every creature, everywhere. And the last verse is, Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. We are called to go out into all the world to bring the message of the good news for all creation. The word continues to spread from Israel to Iowa to Haiti and beyond, here, there, and anywhere. Wherever you are, whomever you meet, live and act and speak in such a way that people experience the gospel through you. We are the body of Christ, the light of the world, we are the congregation of Emmanuel. Let's live like it, here, there, and anywhere. Amen.